So hi, Dylan. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you. How are you? How have you been doing? Been great. Thanks so much, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Excited to to chat. Awesome. So uh, to jump right in, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, my name is Dylan Mortimer. Uh, I was born with CF, diagnosed at three months. Fought CF, uh, you know, through to 37, had my first lung transplant. Um, but before that, I was married and had two boys um, who are now 14 and 11. And, uh, you know, I'll be married uh, 18 years this um, June. So uh, first transplant and then had a second transplant about two years after that. And uh, uh, this uh, next month will be four years from that. So um, 43, um, you know, uh, yeah, a lifespan when I was born was about 14 to 17. And, um, you know, now they just released for somebody born 56, but, you know, what it, in the 50s, uh, come a long way. So, but I, what I do is uh, I'm an artist. That's kind of where all my training is and all, all my background. And I've, uh, you know, over time managed to kind of include all my health journey, as we'll talk about in, in a little bit here, but uh, include my health journey in what I do in creating. And so it's a, kind of a way for storytelling for me, a kind of way to share the journey and a way to process a lot of what I've been through, but also um, hopefully spread hope and, and life and inspiration that, that's, that's awesome. That's what I do. So I'm blessed to be alive at all and blessed to get to create art. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a real blessing. Indeed. So I met Dylan back in probably 2014, I think is, is when I first learned about who you were. And I was helping the Heart of America CF chapter uh, plan and put on the, the CF wine opener. And yeah. I think this was the first unless my memory yeah. is failing me. So we did yeah. like a, a why behind the wine opener. And I asked the director at the CF foundation, uh, the local chapter for some names of some people um, who have CF in the KC area to kind of do like vignettes on uh, different folks and tell their stories for the wine opener. And uh, they gave me your name. And so we connected over that and, um, yeah. I can't believe that's already been almost 10 years ago. And then just over the years, there have been different um, points at which we've connected and um, kind of worked together on yeah. some things. And most recently, right before you left for California, I did your family photos, uh, which yeah. was cool for me because I had, you know, seen your family and like, you know, followed your story through social media um, and then finally got to meet them in person and that was right, really cool. Right. And um, you and your wife are adorable together. You, <laughs> you, um, I, I don't think it's exaggerating to say you're obsessed with your wife. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. Exaggeration at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. When you know, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys are adorable together. So, so that oh, was really cool. You. So now you're living in California. Yeah. It'll be a year. Um, well, in June. So, you know, nine months or whatever this is. So, yeah. So I met you shortly after your first transplant. 
um, which remind me what year that was in. Well, 2016. um, I mean, it was, it was January, 2017, actually the first transfer I was listening to 20 late 2016, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember I came to your studio. uh, It was the old pharmacy in Kansas city. And um, I was taking pictures of you for the why behind the wine opener and yeah. um you were you were healthy at that point post transplant i believe right. and then right. uh can you can you tell the story about that transplant and kind of what happened after yeah. um yeah for sure so uh, transplant in 2017 um you know before that lung function was uh 20% 20 20 to 30% but uh kept having hemoptysis was the thing in the end that they just kind of emergency listed me and I was transplanted at Barnes in St. Louis, 2017, um, recovered. Um, you know, they, they knew initially there were some antibody issues with the donor lungs, but they didn't manifest for about a year and a half. I, I felt the best I've ever felt and started running and started, you know, doing all kinds of stuff that I couldn't do before uh, with my family, riding bikes, climbing mountains, all, all kind of, I mean, it was amazing. And then, uh, year and a half they found rejection and and uh still i felt okay and we we had moved back to new york city at that point and um and I, you know i felt okay for you know probably another 6 months but my lung function just started to to die from 95% in june to 10% in november so it was just like a super fast um you know, felt fine when I was, when I was, uh, sitting or not moving, but, but, uh, quickly, I mean, I'd say even until I was about at 40%, I was still running four or five miles. And then I quickly couldn't get up a flight of steps. You know, I mean, it just, it went that quick and we're living in New York city where there's lots of steps everywhere. (laughs) So it was a really challenging time. I mean, just getting to the, the, the doctor's office was really, uh, crazy because you know we're in brooklyn and the hospital was columbia and washington heights so it was an hour and 10 minutes on the subway or driving it kind of didn't matter what way you you took but um you know getting up out of that subway just became uh in the end i just couldn't do it so uh, i was and so it's antibody related rejection i don't know that they call it antibody mediated rejection but um but uh but yeah so lung function just just dove quickly and so they they listed me again um at actually two years to the date of my first transplant they listed me a second time but the whole thing was uh that they uh, you know because of the antibody issues that i was having i'm screening out of whatever people are a match to me whatever percent that is um you know eight percent or whatever that number would be i'm screening out 71% of those people. Uh, 71% of, of the 8%. Right. Leaving <laughs> a so tiny fraction. Overall, way less than 1% chance to find a match. So they are uh, repeatedly telling me at Columbia, you will not be transplanted here. There's no way. First, for yeah. people who maybe aren't familiar with uh, lung transplantation or transplantation of any kind, yeah. what does it mean when you're when like the doctors are running tests and they see weird things going on with your antibodies. What is that like in layman's terms? What does that mean? Uh, well, everybody has antibodies and, and, you know, when you're receiving lungs from someone else that, you know, it's different DNA in your body. So the whole issue is uh, there's, you know, your body eventually is going to recognize that there's different DNA. So the immunosuppression is about um, 
keeping it from finding that different DNA it's recognizing. So with with different DNA, right, different, there's different antibodies too. And, uh, you know, the hope is that there's kind of harmony with, within that. But there was, you know, kind of one or two particular antibodies for me that just my body wanted to fight. So again, for a year and a half, it was, it was fine. No fight. Lung function went, you know, from 20% to 106 at the highest, uh, you know, so so it it was great at first, but then uh, it, and and then what happens in that is just the airways start to um, to shrink, you know, and and so it's not infection like with CF. It's not that I was fighting off sickness and feeling terrible. It just uh, my airways were so constricted. Uh, it, I I don't totally understand the breakdown of all that, but mm-hmm. but you know, just any any time I was moving, it just. Um, you know, I was just out of breath super quickly, uh, increasingly. And so I didn't, um, have to wear oxygen until the, about the last month, really, which was shocking mm-hmm. because, um, you know, my blood pressure was at like 20, like 10%, 10%, yeah, 10, like 10%, 10%, and I'm still, my oxygen is still kind of like 97, 98. I mean, it was still, you know, wow. doing good. But yeah. But, so how but does it, that... it came in the end. Yeah. I was going to ask, how does like feeling like that, um, you know, when you uh-huh. get to the point where uh, the rejection is so advanced that your lung function yeah. has dropped that low, how did that feel right. in comparison to pre-transplant when you were sick? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, pre-transplant and just with CF, I think, you know, there's just an overhaul. Um, there can be just an overall feeling terrible and you're coughing up phlegm all the time and there's infection and you have a variety of things going on. Um, so, uh, this was, I felt, I felt fine really, except for movement, you know, which is important because we want to move around. You gotta move. But, yeah. We want to move, but, uh, but so yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I've never, I mean, you know this, but I've not had a lung transplant. That's not in my future, yeah. thankfully. Um, yeah. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know what that feels like. Um, and so when I think of, you know, feeling shitty because your lungs are not behaving, um, right. I think of, for me, pre-trichafta CF, right. um, which yeah. is, yeah. you know, we were experiencing the same thing before you had, trans- yeah. had transplant and before I got trichafta. Um, yeah. Just, you know, like it's your, your airways are constricted. It can be more, it's more difficult to breathe. Um, yeah. you're coughing all the time. So like, at least for me, right. my muscles were just like tight and sore all the time. Like yeah. I had so yeah. much, like just throughout my whole body. It's crazy when you cough, how many muscles you realize you have, you know, like yeah. muscles that you didn't even right. know you have had. And then when you're coughing yeah. chronically, um, like the weirdest yeah. parts get, get really sore. Yeah. All of that. that. And then you're like tired and um, yeah. yeah, So, so that's when, yeah. So it's interesting for me to hear about uh, the post transplant symptoms because they're different. Right. It was, it is different. And yeah, it wasn't all that stuff. It wasn't coughing up tons of phlegm. It wasn't, you know uh, yeah, it just wasn't all that drama. It wasn't having to do so many treatments a day. It wasn't all that. It was just, um, but it, I mean, it was traumatic in a different way because, you know, if you think about all the times that you move and, you know, it became honestly more um, like the the feeling like you can't breathe part panicky. is hard physically, but became a more panicky mental thing with the second transplant, you know, especially 
when I'm out in public or trying to get up subway steps, that was the like, like, um, yeah, the, the harder parts of that was the mental gymnastics of, you know, you feel like you're going to die. You know, you're like, you really feel like this is going to be it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to make it up these stairs or when you have that feeling enough and you, and then you see a stairwell that you need to get up, you're just mm. like, I mean, it's just murder. And then when you get up it, then, you know, especially as the weather starts getting cold and wind is blowing. I mean, it's just, um, you know, cause it, in the, in the summer or the spring or fall, that's one thing you can kind of, kind of stand still and catch your breath. But when it's just so cold and you just are standing there catching your breath and you're just getting, you know, wind is coming at you and you're just, you know, I mean, it just was such a nightmare. So that would be hard anywhere. But yeah, for me in, in New York city, that was a, such a, it just was murder. So I, uh, and I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't afford like an Uber just to get to the hospital where we were was um, going to be like $80 one way. You know what I mean? It, it just was, yeah, it was like, I can't do this every day. You know, in the end I had like a system where I would drive in and I would drive, you know, p- park wherever I could, you know, whatever, five, 10 blocks from the hospital and get an Uber from there to, to the, to make you it know, cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Right. Piece you know, meal it together. It became like, yeah, kind of a good system in New York city. You know, it's like, I can, I can find some parking space. It'll be, you know, five, 10 blocks away. But um, so when you, when you guys were considering moving to New York at that point, you were healthy, right? Yeah. And then your, your health took a nice dive yeah. once yeah. you I got there. Great. It was, yeah, it was really like we had, um, you know, signed up for our apartment and everything. And it wasn't until, I mean, weeks before we were moving that I noticed a dip at home and then they, yeah, they did diagnose it at Barnes. Uh, I mean, a week before and then they, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and you're already committed so at that point. You're like, we're already going. committed. And yeah, it was, and also like rejection can mean so many different things that, you know, there's people living even with chronic rejection for a long time. And, and it's so, you know, who knows? And uh, yes, we went there and I just kept watching. That was the wild part, like of that summer, I kept watching my lung function go down, but I didn't feel like it, you know, I didn't feel bad. Um, I didn't feel less, but I was running four or five miles still just like, you know, like in denial of that, this is happening, you know, like, so, so yeah, it wasn't till, you know, 40, 30% that I started to be like, okay, this is, um, and then it just, yeah, it quickly went from, I can, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a period it's like, okay, I can still walk and, and climb steps and get to the, to the hospital, but then quickly it became, I can't even do that. So, 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 so you got yeah. really, really low, which I, I don't, I mean, you know, it's interesting in the CF world, like people don't always share numbers. I've always been somebody I'm like, I don't care, you know, I'll share my numbers as far as like lung function and weight and things like that. But some people do, you know, not feel comfortable sharing that. So um, you don't always know where people are at, but I can't say that I've ever known anybody to get as low as 10% lung function. Uh, I mean, I'm sure people have, but that just sounds incredibly low to me. So you, you got really, really sick. And then um what happened uh so like i said that columbia had listed me um they tried to list me at a few different centers in the area and all of them basically were like you know if we didn't transplant you the first time we're not gonna list you again to for retransplant but columbia did list me and you had your first one at barnes jewish is that right barnes yeah yeah so and barnes had you know, I had talked with them too, because even then we're like, yeah, should we move back to, because it was just so brutal. And, you know, 
how does my family get to the hospital in your especially if i'm going to start doing inpatient stays and longer and all this to get higher up on the list you you need to be you know inpatient and you need to be on ecmo and you need to all this all, you know and, and so it's just such a nightmare because it's like what is this going to look like and and is my family going to, you know, take an hour and 10 subway ride every time that they need to, you know, I mean, it just, it, so, so we're, you know, looking at different centers, but there, the thing that Columbia kept saying is you got to go to Duke. That's your only chance. They're, they just kept saying over and over, you will never be transplanted here. There's, you're, you're too low on the list. Uh, you're screening out 71% of the, you know, small amount of people that are matched to you. So they they just, they were very confident. There's no way ever you'll get transplanted here. You got to go to Duke. So we, um, we had an evaluation scheduled at Duke uh, in North Carolina. There's a few reasons for that larger pool of uh, donors there. It's a more CF-centric center at Duke. Um, there are a few reasons they were saying, and, and there's just so many people in New York City to, to you know waiting on the waiting list. So I was just so low, even though I was 10%. I wasn't meeting the other markers that would indicate that I needed to be higher on the list, like being inpatient, like being on an ECMO, you know. So that was among the daunting things is like, okay, I'm, I can't move, but I got to get a whole lot sicker before I get on the list. You know? How much farther, here, how much lower you know? can you go? Right. I, right. Yeah. With kids and all this stuff, you know what I mean? I'm like, how, what's that going to look like with me being, you know, spending a year in the hospital or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So, uh, with Duke, you have to transfer, uh, you, you have to live there minimum of a year. So we're looking at apartments and we're looking at schools and all this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, just I like, can't imagine like you, you, do. you can't breathe when your lung function is that low, like your energy level has to follow, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Did, it was I, like, that uh, sounds exhausting to me. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to do yeah. that being that sick. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really terrible. And you're just trying to stay alive. And that if Duke is the way to go, that's a, that's what we would have done. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, you're just processing through all that. So we had, yeah, we had the evaluation scheduled the next week and I get a call just completely out of the blue from this woman in Kansas city of all places who uh, you know, it's a Thursday. I just get this call. Um, my cousin has just passed. Uh, I've been following you on Instagram. I know you're on the list. I know your story. My family has talked. We want to donate his lungs to you. That's got and chills. I'm, yeah, right. Like I'm. It does give me chills now because it, this actually it, it did end up working. But in the time when I got the call, it was just like this is really sweet. I I mean I I just said that to her. I'm like, thank you so much for calling. This is really sweet. I'm sorry for your loss. Um, that's not how this works. There's a list. There's, you know, there's a protocol. There's a, you know, this is kind of a way to go about this. Um, and, you know, she said, well, we'll, we'll try. And, and I just was like, thank you so much. It's really sweet. Thanks for thinking of me. But um, thinking like, no there's point, no way. There's no, uh, nothing in my mind. I never once considered like, oh, well, this could actually be a thing. Wow. Um, you know, I didn't tell my wife. I didn't, I mean, there's just no way, you know, there's no way that this, that this would be a match to me first of all. And then even if it was that they could just do a transplant like that, that, it, you know, so I didn't tell my wife. And then the next day my doctor calls and said, uh, we just got a call from this woman and she has lungs for you. And I said, first of all, um, you can do that. <laughs> like yeah. You can do donations. Like, and, and the doctor goes, I've never heard of it before, but apparently, yes, you can do that. Wow. 
And I go, and it's a match to me. And she goes, well, um, so it is a match, but it has two of the antibodies we were trying to screen out, not the main ones, but, but two of the ones. And so, so initially, you know, uh, me and my wife are, are both going, uh, so well, we can't do it then. Like, I mean, that's, it's going to be the same, you know, as last time. And she goes, well, we've all talked about that at New York. We've consulted with St. Louis. Everybody concurs. You should take these lungs. And I go, well, why? And she goes, one, we don't know if you get another chance. Uh, and then two, she goes, we don't have a lot of research around retransplanted lungs. We have some, but uh, we have some ideas of what we think will work, but we don't really know. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, uh, so I go, do we have some time to think about this? And she goes, yeah, you got about a half an hour. You know? <laughs> so like, oh my God. That is uh, time. That is indeed time. It, right. It, it's something, you know, so, uh, so she was very like, she's like, other than those two antibodies, this is a perfect match to you. And she's like, we're, I mean, she's basically going like, I don't think we're going to find any better than this. And yeah. this has been will to you. Shoot and, your shot. Take it. Right. And, uh, so we're like, all right. Um, uh, so you know, so we just kind of like thought about it and prayed and, but, you know, and just had a sense of like, okay, there's still lots of steps in the process. If this is not meant to be, then, you know what I mean? It, it won't work out, right. but, um, you know, before even having a transplant. So they flew a doctor from New York to Kansas city to look at the lungs. They look good. He flies back with them to New York and, you know, we're sort of getting updates about this and they're just like, be up at the hospital by one in the morning. We'll know by five if it's a go. So, um, so, you know, we were thinking, okay, we'll get our kids to bed and then we'll drive up there. Not surprisingly, my kids are a mess. You know what I mean? They're at the time they were, uh, seven, let's see, seven and nine, you know, so they knew what was going on, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And we had talked with them about that and, and. Um, you know, always try to be discerningly, like re reveal the appropriate amount of information, but they knew and they just like, you know, again, not surprisingly, they just were a, a mess about it. And so, you know, with my wife, I'm like, you gotta stay, you gotta just be with them. And then my friend downstairs drove me to the hospital and literally dropped me off there with a backpack. <laughs> I just walk in like, where are your lung transplants? Here <laughs> I am. Me. You know, yeah, right. It's like, let's do it. And so I, um, I go in there yeah, by one in the morning and then, the, then I'm just sitting there in this like dingy little oh room God. in Columbia till 445 by myself, you know what I mean? Just in the zone, like, like a lot of transplant recipients would, would describe like the peace you feel in that moment, the surprising peace you feel is just, I think this sense of like, I've done everything I can do. You it's know what I mean? Like I, I fought right. And and here it is, you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in God's hands. Like this, is, I'm in the surgeon's hands. I can't, there's nothing more I can do. And, and the relief of that, especially growing up, you know, with CF and it, you feel like you're pushing this boulder up a hill every day. And, and to, to just that feeling like I have, you know, I, I don't need to push anymore. I've done yeah. everything I can do. So there I am. And I'm just, I'm just chilling. I was like really surprisingly just super peaceful. And hmm. 445, I get a call back in the room that says the lungs are here and they look great. We're taking you back right now. And I mean, within like seven minutes. At that minutes, point, do you like, panic or are you still calm at that point? Um, 
No, I'm like, I'm sort of like excited, you know, because yeah. you're, because like, you you're feel sort terrible. Of prepared, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You feel, and, and you're, um, you're prepared for like a, a, a dry run or something, you know, like I, the, I think both times for me, I, thankfully I didn't have any dry runs. Some people have had a lot, but I, uh, you know, you, you're kind of thinking it's probably going to be that, you know what I mean? Like we do all this and then it just didn't really work out. And here I go back to, you know what I mean? Not, not breathing and, and waiting and waiting, you know? So you're sort of prepared for that. So when they're like, it's a go, I'm like, okay, you know, so I'm literally, I'm like on the hospital bed calling my wife, like, go ahead and come up now and, and call my parents, like, go ahead and get a flight now. Uh, and they, I mean, within seven minutes, they had me back there and out. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, I go, go in there and uh, it wasn't, yeah, it, I was like the first time a little bit, yeah, a little bit nervous, a little bit like, you know, but the, the second time was like, this story is so crazy, you know, that there just was not a gonna work like, out. <laughs> I'm in somebody's hands here. This yeah. is, got, you know, and, and I wake up from that. Um, and after some hallucinations and such, uh, you know, I, I'm there in the room, just like, I mean, how, like, what is this? And all the surgeons are like coming by and stopping through and like, you know, checking on me, but then going like, no, for real. Um, how did this happen? (laughs) Like, am I alive? You know, (laughs) right. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, um, and I think after that, my first transplant was a, it was really painful, the recovery for a variety of reasons. And it just was like a, a super brutal recovery. The second recovery was like a piece of cake compared to that for me. Everybody's different. Sometimes the second or third or whatever is more difficult for people. But for me, the second one was just a, it was a kind of a breeze from the standpoint of, you know, this like miraculous thing that had happened. It just is like, man, I'm, I'm just good with what you know, I felt like I can't lose, you know what I mean? I'm just in God's hands and I'm, and I'm doing my thing. And so, you could kind of do everything at your own pace in New York. And, um, and I'm just chilling there in, in the hospital room, like making art and, you know what I mean? Recovering and watching NBA playoffs. And, you know, it was, it was a blast, you know, looking at the Washington bridge out the window. I mean, it was like, you know, I was, I was in the zone and then, yeah, went home, you know, about two and a half weeks, two weeks uh, after that and started jogging. Yeah. I went for a jog in the park with the, the staples still in my chest, you know, because <laughs> uh, I just was so excited and everybody's like zooming past me on the run. And I'm like, um, but you haven't had a transplant. You haven't had a transplant. Yeah. <laughs> so it was happy it was to great. be there. Yeah. I mean, I just, I felt great really quick. There was so little pain in the recovery that time versus the first time. Left so what were your, what were your wife and your kids like, like after you got through this crazy miraculous thing that like just so wild that it even happened like what do you think they expected versus how they versus what happened and how they felt well you know yeah it's a it's such a range of emotions both transplants but this one uh, yeah i think this is pretty much every every transplant story i mean it's there's so much obvious excitement there's you know there's this sort of miraculous thing that just happened everybody's like you know so joyful and excited about that and also like just the trauma that all of that is that, you know, it's too much to process in that moment. And so there's sadness mixed with joy, mixed with excitement, mixed with anger. You know, I mean, it's a host of things going on. So again, here, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, um, 
it, I felt like you, as the patient, you process some, a little more of that in real time, you know, mm-hmm. and you're just having to, to kind of go a little further down the road of like reality and imagination of, about what could happen and, and sort of, you know, work and sort through some of those things for, for my wife and kids, it, that was a little more, um, of a, you know, two year process that, that it was a lot of, a lot of counseling, a lot of talking, a lot of processing after that, you know, so, well, I, so, uh, you know this, but my brother went through two liver transplants, um, Mm, right. One after the other in succession, uh, within the timeline for me is blurry because it was, like yeah happened fast just a yeah. whirlwind but i think it was within yeah. like 48 hours of each other the first one oh um gosh. yeah they they knew um the next morning on the first sonogram that there was oh. graft failure oh. and um so right after the first sonogram um you know oh. noticed something was wrong he was hardly awake you know he yeah right that yeah. soon after surgery hours. he was like not really there and they wheeled him. It was his birthday. His um, wow. That's 15, the second one happened. His, well, in between, he turned fifteen in between his transplant, oh and um, so we. Oh. It was so horrible because we were just starting his birthday celebrations in the hospital room, oh. and the doctors rush in and wheel him out and say, "We got to open him up and see what's going on." Oh my god! And oh so, um, yeah. you know, from the perspective of a loved one of somebody going through yeah. that, like it, yeah. I had to, I mean, that was something that I talked about in therapy for years because it was so traumatic and you're right. Like the range of emotions, like I remember sending him back for his first transplant. We got to go into pre-op with him and feeling so excited, but also like just horribly sad and scared. And I think I, again, I can't speak for him, but I think like you, he was pretty calm. Like he appeared at least pretty calm and, um, you know, I, we were trying not to cry to like scare him or anything because he was a kid too. But yeah. it's just like it's it's so moment like there's so much going on in that moment yeah. that you're just it's there's just so much, yeah you feel it all yeah. at once. And there's then so much to work through. Yeah, and then the you know the failure of the first transplant. You the next day, I remember being so excited. I worked out that morning, and I just felt on top of the world. I was like, "This is amazing!" Yeah. Like this, right. you know, this amazing thing happened. He's getting a second chance. He's he's going to be great now. And then right. to fall that far, um, you know, like an hour Ooh. later, and then they're wheeling him back again. It was just like whiplash, and um, right. I'll never forget looking at my mom, you know, for a react, you know, like, what do I do? What do I think? Yeah. Right. Looking at her, like what's going on. And she, and she usually like held it together pretty well. You know, she was like his main caregiver, of course. And um, she just like melted and was just like, I know what this is. And like, was clearly panicking. And so then that sends me into a panic. I'm like, Oh God, this is horrible. Right. You know, this is right. So uh, then he goes back for the second. Well, so they confirmed, they opened him up, confirmed that it was um, graft failure and mm. relisted him top of the list and um, basically gave him like less than 48 hours to live as he was. And um, and uh, a, a cadaver donor came through like that night. And I remember wow. the surgeons bursting through the doors, like sprinting upstairs, bursting through the doors. And in like out of breath, you know, explaining to us that they had a liver and um, 
it, it, I think there was like some exposure to hepatitis or something. And so they're like, do you guys approve it? And we're like, yes, 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 go, go, go. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, so he goes back for his second surgery. And um, like, I'll never forget the cold feeling that ran through my body the first time mm-hmm. when the surgeon came out and had this look on his face, you know, and said it did not like uh, this isn't going well or not the first yeah. transplant, but the, when they opened him up the second time. And then the third or the second transplant, the third surgery, um, you know, you get a read on the doctor right away on the surgeon. They come out of the room and you get a read. And we just right. knew that it went well. And so it yeah. was just, oh, so amazing. And now he's 21. And so he's six years post-transplant. He'll be wow. seven years, I think seven years post-transplant this October. Um, mm. So, you know, from wow. the perspective of a person whose loved one is going through a transplant. Like I totally yeah. I feel those emotions yeah. again, just hearing you explain yeah. your story. Cause it's just, it's like nothing else. It's crazy. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it's, it's too much. And then, and, and I think the other thing as CF patients, you're, you're, um, you know, most of us have like <clears throat> been seasoned a little bit with, you know, hearing bad news or hearing good news or hearing, you know, facing setbacks or, you know, you know what I mean? You, and not everybody is, is used to those feelings. You know? <laughs> and, and again, there's bad and good in, in that we're so used to that. Um, but yeah. anyway, so yeah, my family was more, yeah, like a two, two and a half year process of, you know, lots of, lots of discovery about how that impacted them, yeah. you know, and, and how that hit them. And so, yeah, I relate so, yeah. To that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So I want to talk a bit about your art. Um, yeah. So I remember when, we met several years ago. Um, I think I asked you, you know, how did you come to start making art uh, inspired by your life with cystic fibrosis? Yeah. And you had said something along the lines of, you know, I um, originally didn't want CF to be the focus of my art. And then like yeah. that kind of happened. So can you talk a little bit about how sure. CF became the focus? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not unlike a lot of CF patients, you know, we grew up talking and, and hearing a lot about that. You just don't want to. And, and I grew up in a, in a family that was very much, we're not going to talk a ton about this. We're going to kind of go about our business. And uh, fortunately for us, we didn't need to talk about it a lot. You know, we, we, uh, my brother has CF as well. We were both pretty, um, pretty healthy as kids. And so we, uh, we just didn't talk about it much. And then I think, uh, you know, I, I made artwork through, um, grade school, middle school, high school started to get, you know, a, l- a little more serious and looking at art schools and, and did all that, you know, went through all that process. It just wasn't like, a, it wasn't something I really considered. And the whole of my CF was not, I didn't really talk to anybody about that. You know what I mean? It was, a, it was a very kind of private thing. And um, when I was being listed for transplant, it, it, it felt like, um dishonest at that point not to bring it in so i just kind of reconciled with the whole like this is a part of my story you know what i mean it's not all of who i am but it's it's a it's been a big part of my journey and so so i yeah for for me when i um let that be a part it it just was this kind of floodgates of uh, not surprisingly this floodgates of emotion and stories and narratives that um you know i haven't been able to to you know, get off of for eight years, you know, so, which has been great. I mean, I just didn't think it would carry that much. I didn't think it would 
but once I, once I leaned into it, then I started to kind of lean in hard to it. You know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, I had like some involvement, a little activity with, with CF foundation and, and, um, you know, organizations and nonprofits before, but it just, uh, it just made sense to keep leaning in hard. And, um, yeah, I think, I think just reconciling all that for me and then, um, the flip of seeing people's reaction to it um, and watching the more emotional react. The, the artwork I did before this was uh, very much about spirituality, um, but almost like topically, you know, it was like an academic thing about mm-hmm. prayer and, and religion and all these things. And it got a lot of interesting response, a lot of interesting press, a lot of, you know, notoriety and the, these kind of things, but it was, it was about the topic of, spirituality and mm-hmm. this became more about my own journey and my mm-hmm. own doubt and my own you know faith and my own mortality and so so it was more personal in that sense and people responded to it in a more personal way and just watching people like weep at the openings and and you know i mean or cutting pictures out like this and putting it on their hospital door during their their tune-up or you know just different things like that it became like a you know yeah this this sort of like hope rallying cry and i was totally into that hospitals and clinics and medical centers and pharmaceutical companies are are uh the majority of like places where i you know exhibit and and uh, place things or do installations and that which is uh, a blast to me yeah so that's really cool i relate to that the thought that like CF already takes up enough space in my life. Like, why would I want to give it more space? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, and I think that's kind of a commonality among not all CFers certainly, but I I think like, that's something I've always felt is like, okay, this is taking it. This is going to take a backseat. Like, this is not my whole personality. This is not who I am, but Um, like you, the times that I've leaned into it, it's really powerful. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it, and yeah. then it makes you question. It's like, why did I ever push that away so hard? Because it is a unique story and it's a powerful story. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it was always my first response to be like, no, like I'm a person outside of this. And like, this is just a little part of me and not, yeah. not leaning into it. Yeah. Yeah. And for each person, it's different, right? Some people maybe keep that more private and some are very public from the get-go. And um, the art that I uh, was kind of grew up in and trained in, in high school, college, and grad school, um, you know, wasn't, uh, they probably all would have loved to see that actually, you know, but, um, but the, the notion behind a lot of things is like, it, it can't be, um, you know, uh, art that's socially just, that's about social justice or art that's about politics or art that's about religion or anything is, is sort of less than, you know, mm. what's, what's more than is art that's just about art. And, uh, mm. so while I hear that and believed that for the longest time, art is also kind of who you are and, you know, you see things from, from your lens, um, and so, and, and pretty much all artists would say that, that anyways, like, yeah, you're, you know, you're telling your own story and you're, you know, but I think for me, the, um, seeing like, especially the part about seeing artwork in hospitals and, and getting story after story after story, you know, email after me, email of people 
of people's essentially hope stories of like, man, I was struggling. I saw this, it lifted me up. I'm like, what is a better thing to hear than that? Right. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I, to get some kind of resume notoriety in, in the art world or get that story. I mean, I would choose yeah. that one every time. Like that's a, that's a life transformative thing. And so working with CFS worldwide and they're sending, you know, CFS out to countries all over the world that can't, don't have access to medical care to get a vest and including artwork with that and seeing people hold that up from Egypt and Macedonia and, and Brazil and all these places like, in you know, yeah. Uh, it's like, why wouldn't you, you lean know, into that? <laughs> why would, yeah. Why would yeah. I not do that? You know, so whether that meets the categories of what fine art wants to, you know, who cares? I mean, it's like yeah. the, the excitement of that is, is really powerful. So the, showing artwork in a hospital would not have been considered by my education or training or the advice generally of the art world is like, that's not a, um, you know, that's, that's would be considered a little less than. And, um, and so I hear that, but I, you know, anyway, I've, I've been, uh, super excited to kind of go this path because I, you know, where do people more need inspiration and hope and positivity and dignity and where is the art worse than hospitals? You know what I mean? Maybe prisons. I don't, I mean, I can't think of anywhere the art is worse than hospitals. So, so, with so the, yeah, newer construction and that, like, they, they'll do a better job because they, they've recognized this. But for a long time, the, yeah, they had this weird research that, like, people didn't want to, like, they're already in these intense situations. They want extremely soothing and calming art that doesn't have to do with the body at all. And, um, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Honestly, like I've, I've yeah. never met a patient or caregiver or employee of a hospital that, that there everybody's, the patients are already going through intense makes things. You like alone. It makes you feel right. less alone. It makes you feel less alone. Like, right. you know, right. that's what I, that's what first comes to mind for me. Like, right. you know, I, it's been a long time since I've been in the hospital now because of Trikafta. Yeah. But, um, if, if I were to be roaming the halls at night, as you do when you're a CF patient yeah. and for two weeks for a tune up yeah. and I were to see artwork on the walls that gave me something to ponder and think about and yes. made me feel connected, like, Oh, this artist actually knows what I'm going through. Yeah. They've right. spent time in hospitals. Like yeah. And it just makes you feel less alone because I mean, that's, that's probably like the overwhelming feeling that I have when I think back to all the times that I was hospitalized is just feeling alone because right. especially when you're in school, um, you know, when you're a kid, you get pulled out of school and you're plopped in the hospital for two weeks and it's extremely right. isolating. And that was, right. you know, before social media, which, you know, social media has its pros and cons, but one of the pros sure. Is that, you know, when you're in a situation Absolutely. like that, now you have a connection to your peers and the outside world, yes. whereas it was very like I didn't even have a cell phone. Um, and so, right. you know, right. art to me would have like art like yours to me would have been like a portal of communication and like connecting yeah. to the outside world in a way that I wasn't yeah. able to otherwise. So, yeah, uh, that yeah. that makes no sense <laughs> to that uh, yeah. to say that patients don't. You know, it's like saying like they don't want to think about yeah. what's going on with them. It's like, well, you're I in know. the hospital. You no, have it's... nothing but time to think about what's going on with you. <laughs> I know. I've never met anybody that that didn't think that, you know. Yeah. So uh, and when I went through that first transplant at Barnes, I mean, in part because they're about to um, do some reconstruction, like the, I, there was nothing up at all. And uh, for the most part. And um, 
it was like an insane asylum. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like right. white walls everywhere. And I'm like, this is so, and whether it's, whether it's no art or stock art or impersonal art, sometimes the impersonal art is almost worse. Cause it just, it, it's, um, it's kind of oppressive, like, um, very undignifying, very it's impersonal. An insult. Uh, it's like, like, yeah. well, we don't, because we're sick, yeah. we don't deserve like art. That's real art. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And the reasons behind it are are more nuanced than that, of course. But, it, it, you know, generally, yeah, there's there's several of them. But this is what I come up against now. Uh, the nobody will really say these things out loud. But there's mm. there's often a like, I mean, yeah, one, they don't want to deal with any legal drama. They don't want anybody to be upset by artwork or, or this or that, you know. So there's that going on, but there, and because of that, people are um, administrators and such are less likely to take any risk with artwork. But then, you know, they uh, there's this sort of perception of like, well, if there's money to be spent, it should go towards medical staff and equipment, right? Not art, you know. So, right, like, yeah, yeah we're we're healing more than just the body, and uh, all every last drop of research would point to healthy, right, mental states, spiritual states, whatever, the metaphysical affects the physical greatly. And so, right, if somebody is in, in uh, feels dignified, feels helpful, feels they're much more likely to put in the, you know, uh, be compliant, put in work, do do the best that they can, give their best effort, have a hopeful outlook. So, yeah, so I think it absolutely, um, scientifically, like, is is all connected. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But uh, yeah. but anyway, there's just those hurdles to, to go over. So I'm just speaking on that because that's a lot of what I do now is have those conversations. And mm. when I talk about artwork in hospitals, I mean, I, I have yet to find one person that doesn't want to do those things. They all want it, you know, uh, staff, uh, you know, physicians, administrators, patients, everybody wants it. It's just how do you get through the red tape of, you know, a a big hospital system and what they do or don't allow. Usually it's, it's just sifting through a bunch of wilderness to find the the one or or a couple of people that, that care about art or like art enough to, to get something done. So I want to talk about the role that uh, your faith has played in your life. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So my dad's a pastor, um, you know, so all, all growing up, that was kind of my, um, background in the United Church of Christ denominations, really traditional kind of uh, worship, a little more liberal in their theology. Um, I grew up kind of in that, uh, in, in almost everybody I knew was a Christian. Then I went to art school where almost nobody uh, was a Christian or did any of that, you know, spiritual stuff. So, uh, and then I went to grad school in art where um, they they thought I was being sarcastic about it or, you know, like they, nobody could believe that I actually believe in any of this stuff. So, so that was that has kind of been my uh, journey, and and then pairing that with the health and uh, stuff that that that's sort of been my um, framework for viewing all this uh, from a perspective of I should I should say that coupled with my early experiences, uh, you know, being relatively healthy as a child, and then going you know doing the few inpatient uh, stays that I that I had, and being room with somebody that had been there for three years or, you know, next door to a girl that was getting a lung transplant at seven years old. You know what I mean? Like it, uh, enough of those kind of things set in, in me this sense of like um, total glass half full. Um, I'm blessed to, to be alive at all and, um, you know, grateful for 
however many years I have and just want to soak it up. And rather than the like, you know, how could this be possible? Not that I haven't thought that too, but <laughs> so um, I think faith and prayer and, and all of that has always been a way for me to, um, to be an artist, you know what I mean? And ask all those questions that religion might tell you you shouldn't ask, but we know like actual faith um, and actually looking at scriptures and actually like they go there and they ask all those questions and they, they doubt better and they believe better. Um, you know, and, and so the, the journeys like the Psalms to um, the questions that we find there are, are kind of more profound and more doubtful and more faithful than, you know, what we might otherwise think. And so, um, so journeying in those times where I was, yeah, uh, down or doing inpatient stays or things were going terribly, um, asking those questions and, and journeying through what this means to be, uh, uh, um, to believe that there is a God. Uh, and then, you know, what does that mean in, in my situation and, and having a relationship with that God and talking to that God is, is been, th that's just been my framework for like how I go about it. Being a person of faith and being an artist, the, the difference between the two is difficult to, for me to articulate increasingly difficult because it's, um, you know, we're, we're, I feel we're all kind of walking creatively through trauma and joy, both. And that's very much what my artwork is about, is trying to capture uh, and stand in the tension of both of those. Uh, mm -hmm. Life is, is worse than we could possibly have imagined and better than we could possibly have imagined simultaneously. I'm curious, uh, this might be a tough question, but what do you what do you think of people like me? <laughs> like, I'm agnostic. Um, I, yeah. you know, Christianity has, or just religion in general, honestly, religion in general has been something that I've never really had a good experience with <clears throat> at different points in my life have had bad experiences with. And it's sure. been something, yeah. you know, especially in the past few years, it's been, it's, it's almost like confirmed my, my conviction, you know, yeah. that like, that's not for me because it's been so weaponized, like in politics and yeah. um, used to shame people and, you know, used against certain communities of people like the queer community, you know. Um, yeah. So like, I'm just curious sure. how you like receive somebody like me. Yeah, I would agree with you that religion is super messy and terrible. And, um, and I, and as a person that's been involved in church from, you know, real early on and been in, in, you know, high levels of leadership and all that stuff, I would tell you that it's worse than what you think it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's terrible. You mean the religion aspect uh, of like the organized religion, part of it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just awful. I mean, and at, at each level you see how broken people are and how, you know what I mean? It's, it's just like the rest of life, any, any organization of people, no matter where you, you know, it's, but it's especially hurtful in spirituality because you feel like people are there to help you and bless you and do all that. And, and when you get the opposite of that, it's just brutal. Yeah. Um, so why am I still part of it? <laughs> you know, like, why do I still do it? Um, because for me, the hope has never been, and is not and will never be about um, what what religion is or what uh, 
you know, w people at their best are, are trying to help each other. But but again, like I said, I mean, we're broken. We all fall short. We all nobody's perfect. And that thing that nobody's perfect, that probably everybody would agree about is true in religion to no less, if not even more so. It hurts people and it wounds people and it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And yet... Just as I spoke to all the bad, I can, I can speak to the, the lives transformed um, just as well, in spite of all the messiness, not not without it. You know, people that, uh, yeah, their lives were shattered and falling to pieces, and, and they're not now. You know what I mean? They've been mm -hmm. transformed. There's been, so, but all of that is not my hope, you know? All of the, you know, my, my hope and what sources me both in art and, and faith and everything in, in healing through health it is not in the idea that there's a, a religion or a people or a group or a thing that if we could really get our act together and, and do a bunch of good things or pray really rightly or, you know what I mean, do good enough. But in my hope is in that we, we all fall short of that and that, that those are not the things that help, but that there is a God that helps us and does for us what we can't do for ourselves maybe a, a better way to think of it for me is just literally like the transplant, you know, I could work really hard and exercise and do, you know, try to be a really morally upright person and do a bunch of good thing. None of that was going to save me, you know, none of that, it would help, but it, none of that would save me. I needed somebody to die so that I could live, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I needed somebody to like give their life, you know, mm -hmm. sacrifice and, and surrender. Right. And because of that, like I have to do the hard work of receiving it, like receiving it is super hard. It's not easy and not everybody will receive it. Not every, you know, it's, it's not easy to do, but because of that, now I can, now I can think about how to bless other people, how to, how to do what my donor did for me. I can, I can never pay, I can never pay my donor back. And that's precisely the point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, I have to surrender and humble myself to receive that, which I couldn't do for myself and now and the outflow of that, I, I can try to bless other people. But you know, what I mean, uh, the transaction is not the point. Like I can't, nor can I run around and thank all the people that supported me and blessed me and, and prayed for me and did all these things. Like, that's not the point. They wouldn't want, they wouldn't ask me to do that. Like I'm, uh, you know, I, I bless people in, in, in the way as a uh, thankfulness of what has been given me. So, so I think that so all of that is, is kind of articulating a little bit, the difference between spirituality and religion. But, um, a lot of times when people say that they throw out religion, like it's, a um, I wouldn't even say necessary evil. It's just, um, you know, religion is just an organization of, of people, uh, in like-minded spirituality. So it's gonna be messy, but, um, you know, my hope is not in the messiness or the the health of of that organization, but in in beyond that, that that you know, like my donor gives me hope when I it, give, it gives me life where I couldn't give life to myself. You know, so yeah. I'm curious um, <clears throat> how you feel. So I, I guess to a little context, like um, in 2020 and 2021, and you know. 2022 yeah. continuing you know there's been right. um a lot of i think people have yeah. used um religion and used jesus and used christianity right. as a weapon to hurt yeah. other people um For sure it, you know uh, 
this is not new, but um, right, right. But in the past few years, you know, I've seen you speak out in support of yeah. things like Black Lives Matter and um, right, the LGBTQIA plus community. And right. so I'm just curious, right. like, I guess how you feel yeah. and what you feel your role is as a Christian um, when the thing that you believe in is being used um, mm-hmm. to intentionally hurt people and to intentionally um, abuse power and yeah. Yeah. Um, use that that's against yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it, it, that's a great question. It's been, like you said, that's this has been going on for hundreds and thousands of years, um, but sometimes the volume gets turned up a little bit, like with the pandemic and with recent politics and that, you know. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, I mean, you you condemn things that are wrong and, and things that are, you know, you feel are, but I, but also just to your question, it, like I could condemn stuff every day. You know what I mean? I'm like, I could spend all my time just condemning and condemn, you know, all that's con- not all kinds of condemnable stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, you know, I think um, I do do some of that, but I try to spend a lot more time speaking what I'm for rather than what I'm against. But again, I, I, I think a bigger question than that is like, what, like, what is the way rather than just saying, you know, that's not the way and that's not the way. So, so yeah, I think supporting movements like Black Lives Matter when they, you know, happen to say, you know, um, this is, this is an example of, of my faith, you know what I mean? Like this is exactly like liberation and freedom and, and, you know, equality and, and not just, you know, not just equality, but equity and, and not just equity, but like, uh, complete freedom. And so, yeah, m- most recently with pandemic stuff and with, with, uh, the, the politicized, uh, religion and spirituality, I think, um, you know, you, you want to be like loving of everybody. First off, you just, you want to, you know, you don't want to, in the acceptance of one group, you want to outcast yeah. another group. So, you know, you're like, okay. That's very hypocritical. I've right, been learning yeah. myself over the past several years. <laughs> it's, but it's hard, right? Yeah. Cause you, yeah. you know. Well, when something uh, is so um, hateful, it, it, you want to reject it. I mean, you do you, reject you, it. Yeah, you, you, you do, do reject the, it, the but. hate should be rejected. Yeah. Here, here, yeah. Here's a way I think that the hate should be rejected. But people, I yes. hope no person is canceled. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, you cancel bad behavior, yep. but I don't want anybody to be canceled. You know what I mean? Like a, something uh, that Brene yeah. Brown, I think I'm, I'm going to credit this to her. I think it's her. Yeah. Um, it says often is, um, or maybe it's Oprah. <laughs> it could be the one. Be critical of ideas, yeah. not people. Yeah. That kind of yeah. fixes that yeah. predicament of like, you know, if you are prejudiced against one group of people because they're prejudiced against another group of people, then that just makes you prejudiced as well. You know, it's like fighting fire with exactly. fire. Exactly. It doesn't work. Exactly. It's like, right. where does that right. end? No, absolutely. And you know, right. It, uh, a lot of what we're talking about, yeah, the, the political right has, has done all that lately, but the left has done it too. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very easy to be more didactic and, and uh, oversimplify. Uh, a, a quote that I like is, um, tyranny is absence, absence of nuance, you know, mm. and, and when you start to um, lump everybody in, in categories is, is easier to do. And mm-hmm. also, you start to do the very thing that you hate when other people do it to you, you know, dehumanizing so, um, really. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so, um, 
No, that, but that's hard. You know what I mean? It's, it's a lot easier to lump people in categories and um, blame them and, and cancel people. It's, it's easier. To, it's really easy to cancel somebody. <laughs> um, it's harder to, what does forgiveness look like for that person? You know? Um, yeah, forgiveness is not a, a popular topic. These, it's all justice, which like, ev- I mean, I want justice. Everybody hopefully wants justice. We do have different ideas about what justice looks like, but, uh, but we all want justice, but we want, we need forgiveness, you know, just as much as we need justice. Like we need, uh, cause, cause again, we're all, um, we all fall short. We're not perfect. We all need uh, and have been through times where we've done behavior or thought thoughts that need to be canceled. And, mm-hmm. you know, but, but who will hope for us beyond that, beyond the fact that we once thought that or did that or, mm-hmm. or you know? Yeah. So I mostly like try to speak to these things and sometimes I'll, I'll address specifics, but, uh, but yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't want to generally do a lot of finger pointing because that's actually the, the thing that people hate about religion and hate about especially christianity they feel a lot of finger pointing you know against Mm -hmm. you know this is all wrong so what gives me hope when i'm on 10 percent lung function facing stairs in in the winter it's like it's not that like maybe if i get up here a bunch of people will you know what i mean uh you know uh all agree about things but rather that you know what i mean that i'm that i am loved and accepted and uh, here at 10% function or, or at a hundred percent, 106% function, but, you know, I'm, I'm loved in both States and I did not earn or deserve that, but I receive it. You know what I mean? Like that, that grace that saved me when I had no, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't earn that by turning in a great resume or a moral right. evaluation. Or, they didn't look at any of that with my transplant. They just, they just get, you know, someone just, uh, sacrificially signed up on that donor list and I, and I just received it. And so whether I think there is something to be said though, for being a good person and being like, you know, you, you act in a way that is like moral and kind right. because that person, um, the, your donor's cousin, maybe, yeah. you know, wouldn't have followed your story or wouldn't have felt inclined to, you know, try to make right. this crazy thing work if she didn't feel like sure. you, sure. I don't know. I don't want to say we're no, deserving, sure. but sure. you know, that's part of it too. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the, the number one caution, especially of Christianity. If it's just grace, then what does it matter? What we How do, good you we know are. I mean? yeah. but to me, the, the order is really important. It's just, again, yeah. Speaking for me, if I, um, if I'm trying to earn, goodness or prove goodness or deserve goodness that's religion and that's that's works Mm. if i out of the recognition of the grace that's been given to me want to do good work then that's you know what i mean that's a that's Mm -hmm. gratitude the flow of that is really important because otherwise you're doing good things to get things yes it gets twisted into an earning that order is particularly tricky in religion because it's it's easy to start thinking that i I do really if good I do things such such then earn good labor. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's where it gets really kind of twisted because um, uh, again, my, the faith background that I come from says, if that's what everybody's doing, we all miss the cut. <laughs> like okay. nobody makes that earning, striving, climbing the ladder stuff. Nobody climbs the ladder high enough and that's bad news. But the good news is that's not how it 
it, how it goes. So, okay, Dylan, I want to wrap up with some fun yeah. questions. So, uh, first one, what is your favorite thing about yourself? I think, yeah, just, I mean, being an artist is super fun that I get to do that. And I get to do that like full time is such a, like, I, again, like I didn't earn or deserve it. You know, I, I work really hard, but it's like a, it's a, not many artists get to, there's a lot of artists working really hard that don't get to do that full time, you know? So it's, that's a huge blessing and just super fun to just kind of wake up and, and do that. It's, it's such a thrill for me. What is something that you appreciate in other people? Yeah, there's a long list of things that I appreciate in other people. I mean, I, I feel like we've talked around so many of them. I think, you know, like what you're doing in this podcast, just being really open and honest and unafraid to ask those questions, you know, because they're super, super critical, important questions. Why would you not ask them? Right. But it, the, the reasons a lot of people don't are just, just fear and, and anxiety or, or, uh, which is totally understandable, but I I love I appreciate the willingness to to ask those questions, whether it's in creative circles or you know dialoguing like this. So yeah. So yeah. anyway, well, I wasn't I wasn't really fishing for a compliment, but thank you. No, I know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's great. And this will probably be a hard one for you to pin down too. But what's something that you're really grateful for right now? Well, yeah, the, uh, a long list of things, but I think. Uh, I'm really grateful. Like I mentioned earlier, my sons are 11 and 14. I feel a lot of like freedom and joy in the fact that they're, you know, that they're four. I mean, my oldest son's 14 already. I mean, that's, that's crazy. About to heart start, uh, high school this fall. I mean, that's, uh, I think a lot of my anxiety through the true transplants and even before that, just with CF and, and being hospitalized here and there, like when they're one in three, you know, mm-hmm. It was so daunting and felt like a, an insurmountable uphill uh, to like, how, how can I raise these kids when, you know what I mean? How, lo- how long am I going to be alive? All these kind of things. It, it was really mentally crushing. And so to see them getting older and older and thriving is, is uh, more of a blessing than I could ever have thought or imagined. Not to mention, and I know we didn't really cover this, but so I, as you know, I have two and a half year old twins right now. Yeah. And that yeah. age from zero to three is physically demanding. Yeah. And yeah, right. um, yeah. so I, I I know I've told you before, but I always think about you and your wife. And, yeah. you know, I can't imagine having done the last two and a half years, even just with full fledged CF, let alone right. uh, in stage CF and, right. you know, facing the prospect of transplant. Yeah. Um, and big props to your wife, Shannon, um, which I know you feel the same way. I mean, just to carry so much of that load and be your caretaker. Um, it's like truly, she's a superhero. She is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to think about, you know, cause I mean, yeah, that that's hard. (laughs) You know, zero to three is super hard when you have a hundred percent lung function, you know? Yeah. So, um, it's really hard. Um, and again, not, not possible, you know, outside of just a a grace and love beyond comprehension. You know, I don't think we could have imagined if we, if we sat and thought through like how this is going to work, it wouldn't go real well, you know? So like she had that faith from early on and the Mm -hmm. willingness to, to, you know what I mean? To be called as somebody like me, you know, is among the many reasons I'm, I'm not going to stop being obsessed with her and crazy about her. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah why would I not yeah. be right? So, 
They're a special yeah. group of people, spouses of yeah. CFers, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's um, a calling, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, it's, it's I, a, I'm sure you maybe went through things, but I remember uh, in college, I had a boyfriend who dumped me because I had CF. Oh and at God. the time, I was like heartbroken. And I was in the hospital actually doing a study. It was like, a, you know, yeah. um, for several days in a row, like 12 hour days. And he called me wow. to dump me. And I remember at the time, oh he my God. rushed. But now I'm like... Oh. Can I can like what a gift? Thank you. Right. That yeah, that you were spared from that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, can't I know. Imagine. It's, it's too much for words. I yeah. Um and then yeah, on the con I, I, like on the cop- opposite end of that, my husband Corey, you know, has been just like great about it since day one. Never right, you know, right afraid yeah. of it and just took it on. So right. yeah, they're they're a special right. group. Yeah, absolutely. As yeah, it's it's a calling. It's it takes somebody who's not only not afraid, but like sees that, um, you know what I mean. Sees the fire and wants to rush in and help. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a, that's amazing. Yeah. You know. So I'm not sure that I would fall into that category. I mean, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't um, know that I would either. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a very unique calling. You know. So yeah. yeah. They're awesome. We love them. Um, what is something that you think people get wrong about you? Um, well, yeah, like we were talking about before the, the religious and spiritual stuff, I, I don't, you know, people can only bring their own history to that. So I, I totally understand. And I think, um, there's a lot of misunderstandings and and misconceptions within that, you know, so like, we're just talking about, it's like, I, I, my role or job or whatever is just to listen, you know, and, and hear that. And then share my experience. I mean, it's nothing more than that, you know? So since I, you can't necessarily do that with everybody, I know there's, there's misconception a lot in the art world and there's misconception a lot in the medical world and there's misconception and, you know, about like what your beliefs say about you. Yeah. 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 Or what I, what I believe even, you you know what I mean? Do I believe this or because I believe this means I don't believe that or, you know, or I, or I'm not supportive of these people, or I am supportive of these people. I mean, it, it's it's such a loaded thing, right? Uh, spirituality and, and religion. So people bring whatever associations they have, and mm-hmm. you know that's perfectly understandable. But uh, but I have no idea what it, you know. So like a lot of my art friends, they don't they know nothing about Christianity except for right wing politics. It's all they know. You know what I mean? So they it blows their mind. <laughs> like what? I, yeah, right, right, and so. I get that. And then I try to, you know, show them that there's more to it than that. And uh, generally, they're very, yeah, very accepting of me. And then think, I sort of love that they then instantly think that I think and agree with them about every single thing. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily agree about everything. But you know what I mean? I'm like, hey, I, yeah. I, I receive the, um, yeah, the welcoming into this other, you know, way. So anyway, that's, yeah. That's well, I think there's been very like a cleaving the past few years. It's like you're yes. either this and you're all of this, or you are this and you are all of this. And there's not it, yes. left a lot of room for gray area or or you know different interpretations. So yeah, it's been a challenge. I know. I know. So my last question is: if you yeah. could have dinner or drinks or whatever with anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? Whew, man, alive or dead, and we can't count Jesus. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's too easy. Uh, too easy. I mean, shoot, yeah, any any of those guys in the New Testament would be wild to have a, you know what I mean? Like their 
facing death and and all this stuff all the time and and the sort of faith they have so so those but then um besides all that i would i'd probably like geek, geek out and and want to do like a a lunch with kierkegaard this writer the philosopher like i i just um I don't know how much we would cover in, in, you know, a half hour or hour, but I'd want to. You can have as much time as you want. It can be a 10 hour dinner if you want. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well then, you know, man, yeah, he, he can talk. So it could be, he wrote a lot of books. So, um, but I feel like he's influenced a lot of um, contemporary culture and the values and ways that we think about things now, but he, he comes from a, a Christian perspective. And it, it's, it, I think we'd have a lot to talk about. Um, I'd have a lot of questions for him. So, yeah. Cool. I'll have to look him up now. I've never heard, I've never heard of him. Yeah. 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 It's it, yeah. I mean, it, the writing got to be a pain unless you're like really into philosophy and that kind of stuff. But I'll anyway, just, I'll, just, I'll find him on Wikipedia and get the gist. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> get the rundown. There you go, yeah. For sure. Well, yeah. Dylan, Thank you very much for taking the time to yeah, talk with thank me. You so much, um, this is a really good conversation. And I think uh, you have a lot to, I mean, your story just in and of itself is amazing and yeah. inspirational. And, you know, I think everybody should hear it. But um, I also just yeah. really appreciate the way that you think. Um, and I think a big thing for me is, you know, we, you and I come from like similar worlds when it comes to CF, yeah. but then um, like on a spiritual level, very different. And I just think it's really mm-hmm. cool that we can like have conversations and kind of discover like our commonalities. And I think we actually think very similarly. Um, yeah. We just have kind of different um, like ideas of, I don't even know how to categorize it. Like Cat- yeah, the categories or descriptions of, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. yeah. But, but you know, when it, when you're, when you distill it down, I think, um, like the way that we think about things are very similar. And so I, I just yeah, think that's yeah. a really, it's yeah. really interesting to talk to you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for all you're doing, you know, thanks for the the awareness and, and uh, life and hope that you're spreading. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.